If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Getting and staying organized takes practice. And while organization may come easier for some than for others, it is important for us all to remember that healthy organizational habits are the core of staying organized. In general, organized people are more productive, less stressed, they sleep better, and all around feel less overwhelmed. Being organized at work means you don't lose important documents or miss key deadlines. It means stronger communication and better focus on the tasks at hand. And ultimately, organization means happier stakeholders and, of course, reduced cost for your organization. This comes up so often in my executive coaching work that I'll actually be hosting a webinar on October 14th on this very topic. You can sign up for the webinar at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, and I'll share a little more about the webinar at the close of the show. Today, though, we're going to be discussing how we can get organized despite those mountains of paper files that might be sitting on your office desk and maybe your home desk too. Digital documents stashed all over your desktop that are otherwise either there or haphazardly saved to your server. Competing deadlines. And of course, that ever-growing list of to-do items. It seems like things don't really come off of it, but things always get added to it. So how can we possibly find the time or energy to organize all of that. There is hope, and today's guest, Susie Heyman, she helps us bring that hope in. She started her company, In Your Business, in 2002, and she helps businesses and nonprofits get organized. From developing filing systems to creating workflow processes, Susie helps her clients find the tools and resources they need to get and stay organized. Susie is also the board secretary of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. So Susie is an expert when it comes to developing those healthy 
organizational habits. So please join me in welcoming Susie to the podcast. Susie, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dolph, and thank you for having me. I'm actually the president of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. I served as secretary prior to coming into my role as president-elect and now president. So I'm really happy to be here today and share my knowledge with all of your listeners. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I am so sorry. I missed your promotion to president, so I apologize. But I would love for us to get started. You've got 18 years, more than 18 years of professional experience as an organizer. So what tips do you have for us? I have a lot of tips, everything from paper management tips to electronic file tips to tackling email to setting boundaries and scheduling and the dreaded, as you mentioned, to-do list. So I'll start with paper and I may go back and forth a little bit between paper and electronic file management, because ideally, if you have both systems, and there's nothing wrong with having both, then you need those systems to mimic each other. So first of all, paper has not gone away. You hear the term paperless a lot. Paperless doesn't mean no paper. It means less paper. So paper has not gone away, and especially, I think, with nonprofits, because there's always that need to keep track of paper things that meet certain guidelines that have to be met by the nonprofit standards. The biggest thing about filing paper, I think, is learning how to sort the paper first and categorize it. So that's the first step, going through the pieces of paper and deciding if it's something important that you need to keep, if it's something you can toss, if it's something that needs to be shredded. And you should always do this over the trash can so that you can get rid of it when you need to get rid of it, if that is the case. What I see a lot of times with paper, especially with nonprofits, is that they have multiple copies of the same document and you don't need that. One thing from working with nonprofits that I've noticed about paper is generally there is an individual filing system for each individual and then there's more of a central filing system possibly for the nonprofit. So a lot of the decisions that have to be made are gonna be made around which pile that goes into. So once you've sorted the paper, you want to make categories of like things. And you want to name those things. Now, you can be creative with naming your files. You want to name them so that you know where to look for them, not so that somebody else knows where to look for them. That being said, if it's a central filing system, it's going to take a collaborative effort to determine the best naming system for that central filing system. Hey, Susie, so let me let me jump in there. Sure. How many nonprofit organizations have a naming system for files so that everybody is using the same system and if someone leaves, they know where they're going to find a file? I think the majority of, hopefully the majority of them have. I always suggest that when I'm working with a nonprofit, 
my first nonprofit job was actually a nonprofit that I had worked with in the past as an employee. And when I went in to help them with their files, the challenge that they had was that they had so many copies of, of the same thing. And a central filing system doesn't need 50 copies of the annual report. It doesn't need 50 copies of the invitation to a gala. It doesn't need 50 copies of the same thank you letter. So when you have that centralized filing system, especially for nonprofits, I think you have to come up with a name that's that's going to work for everybody. And the broader you can make it sometimes, the better. When you start getting into a million folders and files and all that, that's when it really gets difficult. A couple of things that I have found, Susie, the first is that's not just a paper phenomena of having multiple copies of the same file. I cannot share with you how many times I end up as an interim executive director somewhere and I'm looking at a server and there are six or seven or eight copies of what is essentially the same file, but they've all been saved on different dates. And then you're trying to figure out which one's the current file. Right. That's a really hard thing to to crack sometimes, Dolph, because what happens is sometimes it's that way because people name them differently and it's the same thing. And that's why I say you have to come up with some nomenclature that's going to work for everybody. Decide if you want to make it a topical category and then drill it down or whether you want to make it a date category and drill it down from there. Sometimes I think the date category works better because it it gives you a more current thing and then you can take what was maybe older and archive it later on. And I'll share with you, one of the things I love about using the date, especially in, as an example, a finance office, is then all documents can just end up in chronological order. So if you start with the year and then the month and then the day, so example, 2020-08-10, which is August 10th, 2020, you know that they're always going to be in that date order. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, the other thing that can muddy the waters a little bit that sometimes is difficult with those documents is that people are using so many shared documents now to create. They're using Google Docs, for example, to create documents and people are making changes. There has to be somebody responsible for that document somebody who's going to make sure that the most current revision of it is the one that's kept. You don't need, when you're writing a document, you don't need a million iterations of it. How time consuming is it for that one person who has to be responsible to make sure that they've got the most recent, most accurate, approved iteration? I guess it depends on the size of the the group. If it's a nonprofit or if it's just a, you know, individual filing system, obviously it's not going to take as long. It's kind of like going through email, which I want to talk about too. You have to take time to do these things. Once one of the biggest things about organizing and being more productive is once you've come up with a system that works, you have to give yourself time to maintain that system. On average, how much time should 
someone set aside in their week for maintaining their organizing system? I would say if you have a good, valid system, that an hour should do it. One hour a week. And what is the person doing in those 60 minutes? Like really break this down for our listeners. I think really going through, again, if you've developed a system, you may not even need that because you're, you're kind of doing it as you go along. If you find the need to have to go through, for example, I usually go through all my emails on Sunday and I clear out my inbox. And depending on how, what kind of week I've had, that could take me 20 minutes. It could take me an hour, depending on how many things I need to, to move around and that kind of thing. So it's kind of the same with the digital files, with paper files. I think it's actually somewhat easier because you can do it as you go along. And some people prefer to do that. I tend to file as I go. So I don't have a a stack of papers to file at the end of the week. And so you're kind of filing throughout the week. But Susie, I know we all, we all at the end of the week have some unfiled digital files. Maybe we threw them on our desktop or we've got four or five or six different documents that are in our to-do box. What do you do with all that at the end of the week? You can, well, you clear off your desktop, first of all. I only use my desktop for shortcuts. That's what my desktop is. Create shortcuts to my files that I need to get to on a regular basis. Now, occasionally, if I am working on a document and I will put it on my desktop temporarily, then I always move it to where it should go. And again, um, when I'm cleaning out my inbox, if there's a file that's attached to it that I need to keep, then I file it at that point in time. I'm not probably the norm in that I do it as I go. Some weeks are more hectic and I may not. And I may look at my inbox and if my inbox gets above 100, I start to get really anxious. Then I have clients that I go into and their inbox is like 3,000. Right. That can take a really long, you know, that can take hours to go through. Right. Especially if you've got to read every one. Yeah, I say that all the time. If you get 100 emails a day and you don't have a really good system for easily reviewing and responding to those emails, you're going to spend half to three quarters of your day just on email before you do any real work that you're paid to do. Absolutely. So what's your secret for keeping your emails down to a minimum? First thing is always check your email when you have time to process it. If you don't have time to process it, then you're just wasting time looking at it. It's it's not doing anything. If you have 15 minutes to process your incoming email, you can automatically delete things. You can move things to folders. You can flag them. The other thing that I suggest is that you have a separate email for all those personal things or things that you order from stores, because we all get those daily and we don't want to always unsubscribe because we're afraid we're going to miss a deal or something, right? So have a separate email that those kinds of things go to. Also, I highly recommend that you schedule specific times throughout the day to check your email. You and I are so similar in that. I always try to schedule a few times every day to check my email. And one I do, I have what I think of as the four Ds. So they are do, delete, delegate, or defer. And do, if I can do it in a minute or less, I'll do it. 
then I ask myself, can I just delete it? You know, for example, if I'm one of 123 people blind copied on an email, there's probably nothing really required of me and I can delete it. Delegate, is there someone else I can send this to and have them do it? Or defer, although when I defer, it also means I schedule it. So if I think it's going to take 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes to respond, I'll often put it on my schedule for that week or the following week. And I'll reply to the person and say, hey, I scheduled some time to work on this on Wednesday. So you'll get a response on Wednesday. Exactly. And that's good, especially for those people who want the instant response. Let them know what your leeway time is for responding to them. The other thing that I have heard on occasion, and sometimes I am personally better at this than others, is to do an important task first thing before you check your email. Get something constructive done before checking your email first thing in the morning. You know, some people wake up and they go get their phone and they check their email and then all of a sudden they're consumed into it. Right. So Susie, I have that experience too. And I had to train myself to not check my email first thing because email becomes this monster that hijacks our day. So we get this email and go, oh, I got to deal with this right now. And suddenly two hours are gone. So it's interesting because I start almost every day with a little three by five card and there's things on it that I want to make sure I get done. And my goal is the deep think because my best time is the morning. So my deep think work, if I need to write something, if I really need to work through something, I'll do that before I check email. Because once I've checked email, that can destroy the whole day. Right. And the other difficulty with that, Dolph, that a lot of that I see a lot of people having is their ability to set boundaries. Because the email thing works in the evening, too. I can't tell you the number of times that, and I'm working with myself not to check my email after eight o'clock, because if I check it at nine o'clock or I check it at 10 o'clock, you know, there's always somebody on the West Coast that's emailed me. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond to that person tomorrow. But it interferes with my sleep. It interferes with my me time. And it can really grab hold of you. Having to manage that email, I think, gets harder and harder, especially as technology just keeps taking over such a big part of our life. So Susie, how do you manage expectations? Let's say you've got a client or multiple clients on the West Coast and you're on the East Coast. How do you manage expectations about when you're going to be responsive and when you're not? I think you have to make the decision and you have to tell them what that decision is and let people know. I've told members of NAPO, my NAPO board, that I go to bed early. And if you're on the West Coast, don't be texting me or calling me at midnight. So you have to manage those expectations like you do with anything else and let people know. Distractions are really bad now. And the ability to focus is really bad now. And, you know, obviously COVID has added to that because so many people are working from home and the distractions are greater. When you're in the office, the distraction is a coworker coming and, and wanting to talk or wanting to ask a question or a boss coming in and saying, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? You still have to manage those expectations and let people know, hey, if my door is closed, don't bother me. 
or on Mondays between 10 and 12, I'm working on payroll, don't bother me. Those kinds of things you have to manage. It's harder when you're working from home, obviously, because people have animals, they have children, they have more distractions than ever. And it's even more important to determine what your boundaries are, set those boundaries and let people know what those boundaries are. And they have to be realistic. I don't know about you, but I see all kinds of smart, bright, successful people overscheduling themselves. And then, you know, saying, why am I rushed? Why am I rushed? They schedule back-to-back meetings. They don't give themselves time to breathe, you know, let alone take a, a bathroom break, to eat, to sleep. And things never happen as quickly as you expect them to happen. And to your point, I think, when we're not scheduling those breaks, that downtime, that time to do deep work, or even that time to do busy work, that's when whatever organizational system we've created falls apart. Because we don't have the time, even though it might only take a few minutes a day, we don't have those few minutes a day to actually keep that system going. And that's when you need to call on a professional sometimes. I love it. I love it. So let me ask you this. When someone calls in a professional, what should they be expecting? Well, for one thing, um, they should go start off by going to napo.net. And there's a lot of information on the website about what a professional organizer will do, what someone who is in move management will do, what a productivity consultant can do. So all of those things are there for you to understand. This is a group of over 3,000 professionals who basically change lives. They help clients with their environment, with their workflow, everything they can do to bring order and efficiency to their personal life and their professional life. It's kind of like a personal trainer or a financial advisor or somebody like that. Um, We work hands-on, we work virtually. The idea is to improve the quality of life, whether it's their personal life or whether it's their professional life. So when you call in somebody, everybody works differently. Some people will work one-on-one, side-by-side with you, sort of like a body double. You'd be amazed at the number of people who, when they're working with someone like that, get a lot done. However, then when it comes time to do it themselves, everything falls apart. And those are people that need ongoing support. You know, our goal is to transfer skills. At least, you know, that's that's my goal. You can't always do that. It doesn't always happen. So for those folks that do need ongoing support, what does that look like? It could be anything from once a week to once a month to once a quarter. It's kind of like having somebody set up a system. And if you're unable to maintain that system, It's sort of like a a maintenance check. You know, I come in, I set up a filing system for someone in their home office. They, for whatever reason, are unable to maintain that system. It's there. I come back once a month and I might 
do all their filing for them. I may come back once a month and help them with their scheduling, help them block off some time for a particular project or block off some time for a particular task that they've been unable to do. So you'll kind of provide that high touch. If they need you just to come in and file, you'll file. If they need a refresher course in scheduling, you'll give them the refresher course in scheduling. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Susie, I want to make sure that we have time for the off the map question. And, you know, the off the map question is a way for our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better, get to know you as a person. And I understand that you have been married for almost five full decades. Yes. So my question is, first of all, I'd say it's pretty amazing. You don't see that many people who marry their high school sweetheart and then are married for five decades. What have you learned and what do you have to share with us about a successful marriage? Well, I I learned a lot from the family in which I grew up with. Um, I had two very loving, dedicated parents, and it wasn't hard for me to, to want the same for myself. I've actually been with my husband since we were 15. So it's a little more, I'm telling my age here, it's a little more than, than 50 years that we've been together. I think the biggest things are honesty, trust, transparency, and I guess devotion, commitment, you know, wanting to to make a relationship work. I think a, another big factor is letting each of those individuals be their own person as well as being part of, of you as being part of the relationship. I can only hope that I give my husband that same freedom that he gives me. He has always, and we both have always allowed one another to do what we wanted to do, pursue what we wanted to pursue, and not judge or try to control the other's um, goals and where they want to be. Well, Susie, thank you so much for sharing those tips really for us on how we can all have successful marriages and relationships too. I can only imagine that with five decades of marriage, you've been through good times and you've been through bad times. And as you said, you sometimes you just have to say, okay, we're dedicated and devoted and committed to making this work. So thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. And Susie, I am so grateful that you've joined us today on the podcast. And listeners, if you want to learn more about Susie and the ways that she can help you get organized, whether that's at your nonprofit or in your personal life, visit In Your Business's website at inyourbusiness.com, and that's business with a Z. Or you can connect with Susie directly on LinkedIn. Let me also share with you, because as she said, she's the president of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. So you can also visit NAPO's website, and that's napo.net. There, you can find professional organizers in your area that can help you and your nonprofit get organized or even perhaps learn how to become a professional organizer yourself if you're ready for that career shift. Hey, Susie. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Dolph. It's been a pleasure. 
Listeners, if you missed those links because you were writing up your organizational to-do list so you can start feeling less overwhelmed and more productive, then head over to SuccessfulNonprofits.com. You will find the URL for Susie's business as well as the URL for NAPO. And if your list involves getting things in your office organized, make sure you reach out to Susie via her website or LinkedIn. But if your list includes addressing issues with your board, your staff, or funders, then reach out to us about our coaching opportunities at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, a lot of my coaching work also involves helping nonprofit professionals feel just less overwhelmed. In fact, this comes up so often with my coaching clients that I will be hosting a free webinar on this very subject on Wednesday, October 14th. If you want to spend 50% less time on email and take control of your schedule, visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash make time to learn more. That is our show for this week, listeners. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.